community, uh, Jewish families use something called a mezuzah. Uh, and a mezuzah is a small uh, emblem that they place on the doorpost of their homes. And inside that mezuzah, it has a prayer inside of it. And the whole point of having a mezuzah placed on the doorpost of their homes is so that every time they go out of their door, or every time they come into their house, they're reminded of the promise that God made to them. And so my goal this morning is to implant a spiritual mezuzah in your brain. So that as you begin to walk out the things God has in your life, you're constantly reminded of not only who you are, but the position that you hold in Christ Jesus. So I'm excited about today's teaching. I want to talk to you about being joint heirs with Christ and understanding what that means in relation to our spiritual inheritance. I'm going to begin in Galatians chapter 4. So if you would, go ahead and grab your Bible, grab your phone, whatever you have. You don't have to stand, but I want you to make this confession with me. Say, I declare declare that this is my Bible. Bible. Say, I am am everything everything it says I am. am. Say, I can have have everything everything it says I can have. And I can do do everything everything it says I can do. do. (laughs) Say, today, Today, I will be taught. The uncompromised uncompromised word of God. God. Say faith comes comes by hearing hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing by the word of God. God. Say I will not not grow weary weary in repetitive teaching teaching. for I know know it is good good with me. me. Amen. 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 So I'm not here today to say a whole bunch of new stuff. What I am here to do is to solidify some things that we have been saying since the beginning of the year. We are in the month of July, and that means we are we are halfway through this year. And I don't know about you, but my July looks a whole lot better than my January. God has been doing some things in my life. He's been he's been doing things in me, through me and for me. And that's my prayer for you. That God will do things not just for you, but that he would do things in you and that you would be a vessel that he can do things through. Amen. Amen. It's important when we come to church that we come to church with the expectation. Amen. That we come to church not because we want to check off a list or say that we have done our duty for the week. The whole purpose in us gathering together, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. The reason we come together is because the Bible describes it as iron sharpening iron. Amen. Amen. And when we come to church and we get a chance to fellowship together, then the Bible says that wherever I am weak, then you are strong. That when we come together, we're both strong. And the converse of that is true. If you come and you're weak in an area and I'm strong in an area and we join together, then we both become strong in that area. I'm telling you, we are going to be a church that is strong in faith. Amen. Amen. Say, I am am a person person who is full full of faith. faith. Being full of faith has everything to do with you knowing who you are and whose you are. And if I can solidify for you and help you to find ways to remember that when the enemy comes, and the Bible says that when the enemy comes, that he comes in, and then we know that he says that when he comes in, just like a flood, the Lord raises up that standard. Understand the devil is going to try to torment you. He's going to try to come against you. Why? Because that's his job. The Bible says that you and I have an adversary. But the Bible says that you and I have already overcome him. It says, how do we overcome him? Even our faith. So we overcome the devil not by how, how, how strategic we can be, but it's through our what? Faith. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you can't plan for a victory in the kingdom. You can't plan for one. You got a faith for one. See, see, there's a whole lot of smart people, and they try to plan everything out. And the problem is, is your best laid plan doesn't always come to fruition. And so it's important for you and I to remember that when we read things that God says are promised to us, you and I are not average people. I'm going to say that again. You and I are not average people. 
We're not average people because we don't serve an average God. We don't have an average father. There's not an average blood covering our life. And so as a result, we are not average people. So what most people take as average, we see as supernatural. Amen? So let's go to Galatians chapter 4. And I want to read. I'm not going to read it. I think the first time I'm going to read it, I'm going to read out the King James Bible. We're going to read seven verses. And then we're going to get into really just, I have like three major points that I want to discuss today, but they're going to tie into this idea of you understanding your position and rank and then understanding what has been given to you. Because when God saved you, he didn't just save you from, he saved you into. He didn't just save you from sin and hell, but he also saved you into righteousness and victory. So the Bible says this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now I say that the heir, and if you don't know that word, underline it, the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord, small l, of all. But he is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, you and I, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. It says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that's you and I, that, were, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Somebody yell out adoption. adoption. It says, and because you and I are sons, God has now sent forth the spirit of his son, into your hearts. Now notice this. This is a mouthful, but this is a Selah moment. He says, literally, there was a time that you and I was in this world without a, without a father, or at least without a good father. He says, but what happened was, is that when you called out to God to save you, you got adopted into the family. Now, it's one thing to be, to be adopted into a family, but then notice what the scripture says. It says, God then took the same spirit that was in his son, and he put that same spirit into his new sons. So now there is no difference between the love that God has for his own begotten son and his adopted son. If you ever get a moment to get that in your mind, something has to happen to your self-esteem yes. because literally what he says is, is what was in Jesus, he took and he didn't dilute it. He put the same thing that was in Jesus Hallelujah. on the inside of his new sons. Yes. Now, most of you know that Taylor is adopted. She's our oldest child, but she's adopted. Yeah. Never in the 21 years of her life has she ever not had what the other kids had. In fact, because she's the oldest, she feels like there's some rights she's entitled to that the other ones don't have. So understand, adoption is not this second-class thing. In the eyes of God, there is no difference in his own begotten children and the ones who are now adopted into the family. In fact, the Bible in the, in the book of John describes it as a plant being grafted in. Now, some of y'all grew up around y'all grandmas or with y'all grandmas. You seen her with that aloe vera plant in the window before. You saw her take off a piece of that aloe vera plant and put it into another jar. Come on, somebody. And that thing started to grow. And before you knew it, you couldn't tell where she had took off one piece and put on another piece. The Bible says it had been grafted in. And when you get grafted in, there is no difference between the old and the new. Tell your neighbor, say, I am, I am brand new. In Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. See, that'll help you understand your position and your rank. You're not something that's been grafted in and you're like a magnolia tree hanging onto an oak tree and people can tell the difference. No, 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 no. When, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. That is a tough pill for people to digest because what they do is they try to internalize the fact that we are sinners and we don't do the same things. But you got to understand man looks on the outside. God looks on the inside. And when God saved you, he solidified you because he caused you to be born of an incorruptible seed. And because you were born of that incorruptible seed, that's why when he sees you, he don't see the junk that you do. He sees Jesus. 
That's what the Bible lets us know that if it wasn't for the goodness of God, if it wasn't for the hope that we would see God in the land of the living, we would perish. But God doesn't look at us at all our junk. Understand, we ain't supposed to just do junk. But when you do junk, God doesn't disqualify you. And because God doesn't disqualify you from your promise, you shouldn't disqualify you from your promise. So this is what he says. And because you are sons of God, has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, where now you get to cry out what? Abba, Father. You now get to say the same thing to God that Jesus said. And he responds to you, watch this, the same way he responded to Jesus. Now, if you can understand that when you speak to God, that God is not speaking to you from some position of judging you for what you have done in your past. God, God sees your past, he sees your present, and he sees your future. And because he knew that, he had to make sure that he wasn't going to operate us in any of those dimensions. So God only operates with us according to the fact that we are his children. Amen? So here's what he says after that. He says, but with the fullness of, God, of time, it says what's come. This is God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts for we by cry, Abba, Father. Verse 7, wherefore thou art no more, what? A servant, and my Bible says a slave. So you never say, I am no longer a slave. Now some of y'all are like, I know, I ain't never been no slave. Yeah, you've been a slave before. You was a slave to your thinking. You was a slave to sin. You was a slave to financial debt. You was a slave to divorce. You was a slave to abuse. You've been a slave to a, to a lot of things. But God says that when he adopts you, he gets rid of all the bondage. Say, so, so there is no more bondage in my life. Well, y'all ought to shout like free people. You ought to give God praise like free folk. He says, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, watch this, then you are an heir of God. Say, I am, I am an heir, heir of, God. of God. He says, through Christ. Through Christ, you have been made an heir of God. In other words, through Christ, you have been made a partaker of all that heaven has. You have been made a partaker of all that heaven has. Verse, verse, verse 9 says, But now after you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and, and, and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. In other words, verse 9 says, Now that you know whose you are, why would you go back to being less than? So when you read Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 9, it really solidifies for you. It tells you, look, here is who you are. No matter how bad it gets, don't go back. Yeah. You remember when we talked about how the children of Israel begged God to get them out of Egypt. I mean, they begged God to get them out of Egypt. And the Bible says they weren't, they, they weren't even to Canaan yet. And they started begging God and saying how good it was in Egypt. It's like, it's like almost like folk, folk be crying out to God to save them from something. And then God save them from it. And then because they're going through a new challenge, now they want to go back to the old challenge. Mm -hmm. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, hey, neighbor. Your, old your old challenges don't fit you anymore. Fit you. Say, you've been designed, you've been designed to, break through to break through new challenges. New challenge. Amen. You've been designed to break through some new challenges. I want us to look at a couple of scriptures here, and I want to dig into this word we call air. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17. Now, this is one of those messages where you have to force yourself to hear the word and then speak to yourself about what the word says to you. Because the reality of it is, is that you've heard so many times that you are an heir of God, that when you hear it, you can, you can kind of easily brush it off. But if you don't make sure that you understand what this means for you, you can be cheated out of your position in your rank. How do I know? It happened to Adam and Eve. The Bible says God created Adam. And then out of Adam, he created Eve. The Bible says that literally he created them. They came from God. But then a serpent, the elements of the world, came and told them that who they were wasn't really who they were. 
And if you're not careful, the world will try to convince you that what God has told you you are, you aren't. And if you buy into the fact that you aren't what God says you are, you will become the very thing you didn't want to be. And so you got to make sure that you're able to have this tucked away somewhere deep in the recesses of your mind. So when the world is trying to convince you that you are not on assignment, you can tell the world, no, I know I'm on assignment. I know what God has said to me. So the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through verse 17, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again into fear. How many of you know the Bible says whom the Son sets free, he is what? Free what? Indeed. It says, so know that you have been free when you got born again, you were free. And now you have not received the, the, the spirit of bondage again. It says, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby you get to cry, Abba, Father. Now notice, he doesn't say this in Galatians 4, he said it in Romans. Why? Because the word of the Lord is, I'm your father. Yes. Some of y'all are Star Wars people. It's like, Luke, I am your father. God is saying, I am your father. <laughs> I am your daddy. I am the one you should be copying after. You know, I'm, it's, it's so amazing. But you take little kids, right? And, 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 and they're a total blank slate. And whoever you let them spend the most of their time around, that's who they're going to become. Good or bad, it don't matter. You let that little kid hang around, and that's who that little kid's going to become. And that's why people say stuff like, you just like your mama. You just like your daddy. It's so funny because you can see kids, and you'll see facial expressions they'll make. And you know exactly where that facial expression came from. Why? Because everything we see in the world gets imprinted on our mind. And our mind is like a computer. Whatever you put in it is what's going to come out. And so my job is to make sure that you get this idea that you are adopted into a family. And because you are adopted, you receive the same spirit that the biological son had. Yes. He says the spirit himself, God himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's the reason that you have some children who, who, who have problems with being adopted and other kids who don't have a problem with being adopted. You, ha you have some kids, and listen, it doesn't even matter when they were adopted. I, I, I've spoken to people who have had their children from two, three, four, five days old, and now they're 15 and they got identity issues because they're adopted. Why? Because the spirit of the parent never bore witness that that was their child. They always say, no, this is, this is my adopted child. We, we do that a lot in our community. We make distinctions. We use words like step. Come on, somebody. This is this my half. Half of what? They're half a body? It's either your sister or you're not your sister. Because, because, when, because that's what God's trying to illustrate, that in the family there is no divisions. So, so, so God ain't got no, no, no super spiritual children that he loved more than his little carnal trying to be well children. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, say he loves, he loves. us all. He does, and you've got to get that in your mind so that while you're struggling through whatever you're struggling through, Pastor Sean said it earlier, I may fall 50 times, but I ain't giving up. But that don't mean God loves me more when I accomplished than he did when I started. He loved me the same. Even when I was falling, God was loving me. How do I know? Because he didn't let me go when I was falling. That's the indication. The indication that he loved me is not because I got it right every time. It's because I got it wrong so many times that he kept on loving me. He says, so the spirit himself bear witness. Oh, I was talking about adoption. I was, was going to make this point. Taylor has never struggled with being adopted. I mean, I mean if you talk to her... She almost convinced you that she ain't. <laughs> she, she once told the teachers one time that she was adopted. The teachers didn't believe her to the degree that they, was, they got upset enough because they said Taylor was making fun of people who were adopted because she kept saying she was. They called us. We was like, she really is adopted. She's like, but she had just like y'all. The spirit bears witness with the child. And if you bear witness, it's the reason that when you can have folk who come to FOC for years, you'll have folk who come here for months, 
And some people, they will bear witness with our spirit. And before you know it, folk will begin to talk to you and go, you sound just like Pastor and Pastor Why? Because when the spirit bears witness, there is no division. And that's why it is that you got to spend enough time with God that you start to bear witness with God. You know why you act a fool all of some time? Because you be bearing witness with the fool actor. You spend your, you spend a, you, listen, listen, uh, we work on the same thing, trying not to be so petty. But you know why you become petty? Because you spend a lot of time with petty people. <laughs> Let's just be real. You spend a lot of time engaged with petty people. No, we can know. <laughs> See, that's petty. See, that was petty. See, that was petty. And if you do that, you spend enough time, you start to bear witness, right? And so what we're talking about is how do we bear witness with God? We got to spend enough time. He says, the spirit himself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So God is our father. Jesus is our sibling. And whatever Jesus is entitled to, we are entitled to. It's a difficult concept for people to get because we put our own human thinking on it. But if you could get your human thinking out of the way, it's like this. If I own a car and I say Lee can drive my car, who can tell me Lee can't drive my car when it's my car? It's mine. I can tell anybody I want to to drive my car. God is the father of it all. Who is anybody to tell him he can't claim a kid? That's right. Come on. That's good. So if he claimed me, I'm his. So I don't have to try to convince myself. I'm not telling God I'm his child. God told me I'm his child. And so you gotta, you gotta see it that way. That I don't have, I, I can tell God I'm not his child. I can act like I'm not his child, but I'm still his child. I'm just a rebellious one. Because he has declared that when I accepted Jesus, I became an heir of God and a Joint heir with Christ. He says, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Say, I am, I am an, heir an heir of God, of God. and I am joint heirs, joint heirs with, Jesus with Jesus Christ. Now let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. Because I want you to see this because the Bible says whenever we're studying scripture, that the scripture that we are studying, it should be solidified in two to three places. That the wit- the, uh, there should be, be- it should bore witness out in two or three different places in this inscription. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, it says, And if you are Christ, say, I am. I am. It says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Okay? Not seeds with an S, but you are Abraham's seed. In other words, you are just as much Abraham's seed as Isaac was. Just as much as Jacob was. He says, you are the seed of Abraham if you are indeed Christ, because that's the lineage that Christ came out of. He then says, and you are heirs according to the promise. Say, I have exceeding and precious promises given to me. You got to understand that God has given you some exceeding and precious promises. And as a result, you got to be able to lay hold to that. But you never will if you don't see yourself as an heir. Now, how many of you know that the Waltons got a lot of money? Amen. I mean, and they, they do. They got a lot of money. But how many know you can't go and tell the Waltons that you're looking for a dividend check? Why? Because you weren't part of the what? You didn't get no seed from, from Sam. Why? Because he left everything he had to his heirs. And if you don't have, if you're not connected, then you don't belong. But praise God, you and I are heirs of God. So whatever God has belongs to us. Now, how did it get to us? How did it belong to, how did it get to us legally? Why do we use this word heir in the Bible? I want you to look at this word, the word heir. Here's what it means. It is a person legally entitled to the property or rank of another upon that person's death. So in order for you and I to get what Jesus had, Jesus had to die. But God is so sophisticated in his plan that he had a way to let his son die so that he could get all these other sons and then still get his son back. Yeah, yeah, that's lit. 
Yeah, because, because, gee, because understand, the Bible says, had they known the plan of God, they never would have crucified Jesus. Because when they crucified Jesus, it didn't just release one son up on the earth. It released billions of sons up on the earth. Because literally the plan of God was always to reconcile mankind back to him. The yeah. devil thought he had done something when he messed up with Adam and Eve. But God had a plan for how to reconcile us back to him. He looked around heaven and said, somebody's got to go. And Jesus said, I'll go. He came and lived a life to give us an example of what could be done as sons of God. And when his time was over, the Bible says he went to the cross. He died for every sin known to mankind that would ever exist. He bore it all on his shoulders so that you and I could live free as sons of God. The Bible says he took all of that sin, he took it to hell, he left it there, he took the keys of righteousness, he came back and delivered them to the sons of God. So you and I now stand in righteousness because of a death that allowed us to become an heir of God. And so today you and I stand here as beneficiaries of the death of Jesus Christ. And just as crazy as it would be for, for Mr. Walton to have left all his money to his children and for his children to take it and squander it is the same indignation that you ought to have that God has given you precious promises and you sit on them and don't do anything with them. Because he gave you an inheritance. Every person in this church, you got gifts, you got talents, you've been called to ministry, you've been called to different things, you've been called to be a voice in this world, and if you sit on it, you sit on your inheritance. And if you sit on your inheritance, the Bible says you're slothful, that you're wasteful. The idea of an inheritance is so that you don't start at zero. The whole idea is that you don't start where the daddy started. That's why Jesus says, greater work shall you do than I have done. Because I go to the father, but the inheritance is coming to you. Say, I am an heir of God. Now understand, one of the most exciting things for us that took place at the cross is that in Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, it was the fact that we became joint heirs with Christ. Yes. People talk about the cross, and sometimes they make the cross sad, but the cross is a joyous place. The cross is a place where you and I became a part of the family. Yes. It is a place, Calvary is this place where literally all of our baggage was left and we picked up the righteousness of Christ Jesus. This was literally the greatest victory to ever take place in the universe. And you and I have been born again believers to take part of this great and precious victory. Say, I am, I am. a joint heir in Christ Jesus. Now, there are two aspects of our inheritance that I want to deal with today. There are two aspects of our inheritance that we must understand. Our spiritual inheritance in God is very important to us as believers because it does two things. If you're going to write anything down, write this down. Here are the two things our spiritual inheritance does. Number one, it defines our position in God. And number two, it reveals who we are in God. So when I understand about being a joint heir with Christ, it's doing two things for me. It is letting me know what my position is in God, what my rank is in God. And then it reveals to me who I am in God. And who I am in God is vitally important because if I understand whose I am, you can't talk me into doing stuff I'm not supposed to. You know, we have conversations with our kids all the time, and one of the things we say to them when they leave the house is, hey, don't, don't forget, you represent God and the Strickland name. Now, why do we say that? Because what you do is not just a representation of you. What you do reflects on us. You go out acting a fool, they're going to think you didn't have no home training. It's going to have a reflection on us. You say you're a Christian, but you don't display no love. It shows people that your daddy don't have no love. I heard somebody say this one time. They said, I ain't got no problem with God. It's the Christians I can't stand. I don't have a problem with God. It's his children that get on my nerve. Why? Because they don't act like he acts. I read about him, but I don't see them acting like him. 
So it's important that we understand that we are heirs of God, and as, a, as an example of that, then we're supposed, to be, we're supposed to behave a certain way. We're supposed to respond a certain way. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. Don't, advertise don't advertise if you can't deliver. No, put your, put your WWJD t-shirt and braces away. Don't be out wearing it. Don't get, get that big old five-foot cross off your neck. Don't wear that. Don't, don't advertise if you're not going to deliver. If you're, you're going to be a person who's saying, I love God, show some love. So the Bible says that when we understand our inheritance, that it allows us to know our position in God. And it reveals who we are in God. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. Paul prays this prayer when he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. And here's what he says. He says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of God's calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, that's that word again, inheritance, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worketh in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Now, notice the first aspect of our inheritance has to do with an eternal scope. You and I understand that when we get born again, the first thing that happens is we get an eternal spot in heaven. But how many of you know that you don't die and go to heaven that moment? At least most of us don't. And so because of that, then we have to understand that if there's an eternal aspect, there's also an aspect of our inheritance that applies to the here and now. Say, there is is an aspect aspect of my inheritance inheritance that has to do do with my life life right now. Amen. Amen. See, I, I tell people all the time, I'm not one of those fire and brimstone preachers because once you have been born again, I am preaching to the choir. If you're born again, I don't need to talk to you about singing all the time. What I need to talk to you about is how to develop your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your imagination, and your intellect. If I can get those things lined up with what Christ already did in your spirit, man, sin will take care of itself. I don't have to spend an entire sermon reminding folk not to sin. If I spend an entire sermon reminding you to love God. Because if you focus on loving God, it's hard to sin. I'm preaching better than you saying amen. What happens is we want to talk about sin so much because if we talk about sin so much, we can scare the hell out of people and have them to come to church. <laughs> but the purpose ought not be to terrify people to come to church. It ought to be that they come to church and leave in power. Jesus was an empire. If you study the Bible, Jesus did not spend a lot of time talking about hell. The only time he spoke about it is when he was speaking to the religious leaders of the day because they was on their way. But the folk who the folk who didn't know no different, he preached the kingdom to them. So the Bible says this: It says God wants the eyes of our understanding to be open to both of these aspects. The aspects that we have an eternal inheritance, but that you and I have an, inter- an inheritance right here on this earth. Yes. Amen. See, we are not a social justice church. In other words, we are not a church that believes in taking a vow of poverty. We don't do that. Po- poverty is a spirit. We, we, we kick it out. Okay? We ain't taking no vow of it. We are a church that believes in social justice. We do believe that if Christ was here today, he will be fighting for all the people who are being unjustly treated. He wouldn't pick a group. He'd pick all the groups because he didn't believe in treating people wrong. And as believers, that's got to be our mantra. We don't just fight for one issue. We fight for all injustices. Amen. And so we have to understand that God didn't just save us and leave us here so we could just spend the next 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years before we die and now we show up in heaven and everything is okay. The Bible says we're supposed to be recreating heaven on the earth. Somebody been reading their Bible. We're supposed to recreate heaven on earth. We even pray that, right? We even pray a prayer that says, thy will be done on earth as it already is in So we're supposed to be bringing heaven to earth. That's the purpose of us being here. Amen. Amen. Say, my inheritance inheritance allows me me the God-given authority to bring heaven heaven 
down to earth. Now, as many of you know in sports, in order to be an effective player that makes a lot of plays, it's important to not only know your position, but to know how to position yourself to make plays. As, as a person who plays sports, you need to know your position. But there becomes this intrinsic movement of knowing where to be so that you can make the right play. So it is in the kingdom of God. You got to know your position. But you also got to know what it takes to be in position to make the play. Why do I say that? Because God says, yes, your position is solidified. You are a child of God. You are, you are headed to the kingdom. That's where you're going to be. And that's great, but there's some plays we got to make on the earth. There's some things we got to do, and we got to be able to be nimble enough that we can move in, in and out of God where he's telling us to move in and out of so that when he asks us to do something, we can be successful in doing it. In Christ and here at Fellowship of Champions, each and every one of us have all been given positions, ministries, gifts, and talents that make up our calling in God needed to fulfill his call in our life that helps us to make a greater call in the life of other people. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, God, God did, not did not give me, give me an inheritance, inheritance. Just, just for me. Okay. That's important. That's important. He didn't give you. God didn't save you. He didn't cause your marriage to be repaired. He didn't cause your kids to be saved. He didn't cause your finance to be blessed. He didn't cause your health to be good just so you can be happy yourself. He called you to that. He gave you that inheritance so you can show other people how to get that same inheritance. Tell your neighbor, say, God, God is not limited. Is not limited. Listen, we can bring a billion people into the kingdom and it don't diminish God. No, 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 literally. Sometimes I think as church people, we, 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 we act like that. We're like, well, I don't want too many people to come to the church because then they're going to get what, I, what I'm supposed to have. No. God has plenty in the kingdom for everybody. God has plenty in the kingdom for everybody. So this is important. Now, whether we know it or not, we have a God-ordained destiny to fulfill. Say, I have have destiny destiny in my life. life. But destiny doesn't happen if you don't understand that you have been equipped to do so. If you don't understand that God's equipped you for destiny, destiny won't come to pass because you can always find yourself lacking in your own human effort. Listen, I don't even have the right to stand here and preach before you, except that God has ordained me to do it, except that God has called me to do it, and God has given. Listen, I could disqualify myself right now, take a seat, never preach again in my own human efforts. So when God calls you to do something, we got to understand, we can't then judge whether we can do it based on whether we think we're good enough or not, whether we think we qualify. If God says serve in this ministry, you serve in that ministry to God's sake. You don't let some external circumstance happen and then you make a decision, well, I'm not going to do that no more. What did God say? You know how many times I could have said I ain't going to preach no more because somebody didn't respond right, because folk didn't come to church, because I messed up on a point, because I met Moses and said Joshua. (laughs) You know how many times I could have disqualified myself, but you don't get to disqualify yourself what you didn't call yourself to. You don't get to call yourself out of what God has called you to. So if God said serve, if God said do this, if God said do that, you do it until God says something different. Why? Because I'm a son, and sons serve their dads. Sons serve their dads. That's just what they do. You find a good dad, you find a good son, that son is trying to make that dad's vision come to pass. And that dad is doing everything he can to make sure that when that vision comes to pass, come to pass, his son don't have to start where he started. Amen. That is the role of sonship. That is the role of son- and I use the word sonship, but it applies to male or female. That, that, that's the role of sonship. It has never been the role of sonship for the father to take from the son and deplete him. And, and let me parenthetically insert, that's why I have issues sometimes when I see these pastors and these bishops and elders and overseers and they have all these 50,000 sons and the only thing that ever happened is the son is doing something for them. Now, that's just, that's just my personal belief. Now, the father gave us the example. He did something for the son first. He gave the son an inheritance and said, okay, now based on this inheritance, here's what you do. So, so we got to make sure that we are people who keep things in balance. 
Say, God, God is, is a good father. Say, I will be a great son. Amen. 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 Understand, in sports terms, God is saying, here it, here it is what he, that he expects us to be in position so that we can handle the ball when it's given to us. He wants us to be in position. Sometimes you don't understand why God told you to run a particular route. But what you got to understand is that if you run the route properly, the ball is going to be there when you get there. That's good right there. That's good teaching. That's good. I don't know a lot about football, but what I do know is that when they call the play in the huddle, that the quarterback assumes that all of his receivers are running a particular route. So while he got the pressures of the world, the line coming at him, he ain't got to be trying to look for them. He's looking to throw the ball where they're supposed to be. God doesn't have, God calls the play. The world's trying to stop you from being where you're supposed to be. He's only going to throw the ball where you're supposed to be. Now, if you let the world bump you, you let the world stop you, you let the world grab hold of you, and you don't get there, that ain't God's fault. That's why we say greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. In other words, I don't care what the world does, I'm going to get to my spot. (laughs) I don't care what they do, I'm going to get to my spot. I'm going to run through walls if I have to, but I'm going to get to my spot because that's where the ball is going to be. That's that's, that's the reason. We drove to Conway for nine years. It's the reason folks still driving from Conway up here because it's not about how hard it is to get to the position. It's are you going to be there when the ball gets there? And for a lot of folks, what we want to do is we want to go to the spot and tell God where to throw it. So God says go to FOC. You say, well, it's too tough to go to FOC. I want to go over there to fellowship because they had church for 35 minutes and then I can get through and I can go home. Man, I ain't got to worry about nothing else. That ain't where he told you he's going to throw your ball. And sometimes, watch this, sometimes the greater your fight is, the greater your blessing is. Sometimes you got to fight a little harder to get to where the ball is going to be. But trust and believe, if if you got to fight hard to get there, the ball is going to be good when it gets there. I'm telling you, say, I am a child of God. So we said there's two things you got to do. You got to know your position and you got to know who you are. So, so, you, so the first thing I want to talk about is knowing who you are in Christ. It's important for you to know who you are in Christ. You and I have been given the mind of Christ and we have been made partakers of God's divine nature. That is not me saying that. That is what the Bible says. The Bible says that we have been made a part of his divine nature. You all understand about DNA. You all understand about chromosomes. You all understand that a child gets half from the mother and half from the father. You all understand that there are billions of ways that those chromosomes and, those D- and that DNA can all come out to being. But at the end of the day, you can take a child who you don't even know who their parents are, you can see all of them in the act and be like, that's your kid, ain't it? <laughs> Why? Because DNA speaks. Come on. DNA speaks. It's why God says, I have covered you in the blood of Jesus. DNA is contained in the blood. And the whole idea is that he says, I have covered you in the blood. I have given you my divine nature. And so the nature that I have ought to be replicated in you. It ought to be replicated in you. You know, we all, we all some of us, no, I ain't going to say all. I do. I ain't going to lie. We watch Maury. <laughs> I, just, I said that all. Some of us, we watch Maury. And, they all, and, and you know how I go on Maury, right? They come out and say, that ain't that baby daddy. That ain't that baby. A thousand percent sure. I'm a thousand percent sure. Y'all know. Y'all watch. No, act like y'all don't watch Maury. I'm a thousand. And then I love when they come out because you know they really love when They say, what's up, Murray? Okay, 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 okay. My point is, they all say the same thing. Look at the nose. Look at them eyes. That don't look like me. That ain't me. That ain't me. That can't be my baby. You are the father. Why? Because just because something don't look like it don't mean it ain't so. 
So when God tells you that you're blessed, it may not look like it today, but you're blessed. When God says you're healed, it don't look like it today, but you're healed. When God determines that you belong to him, it don't matter what you look like today. You belong to God. You belong to him. And if you belong to God, then you don't let somebody else tell you who's not your daddy. I love the women who come on the show who are real calm. Now, when they start hollering real loud, you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But when they come out and they're like, you know what? He, he the father. I'm, how do you know he the father? Because he the only person. He the father. And they just they, they ain't hollering and screaming. He can say what he wants to. About it, but you are the father. they be like, I told you. <laughs> Why? Because they knew. And when you know, people can't talk you out of, no matter how passionately they try to talk you out of it. They can't talk you out of it. Listen, me and Pastor tell people all the time, we interact with people all the time, they're like, we know what tithing is, the old tithing, blah, 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 blah. Listen, I don't care about all that. You do what you want to. You can't talk me out of what I know. Now, you do what's good for you. You do whatever you believe, but you can't talk me out of that no more than you can talk me out of the fact that I'm a black man. Yes, that's it. And there's some stuff that you got to hear from God and then don't confer any longer with flesh and blood. I don't, e- don't even discuss, I don't even talk about it with folk no more. Why? Because no matter what, unless you say what God said, you're wasting your breath. Say, I am, I am a, child a child of God. Of God. Let's look at 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. 2 Peter, he says, we have been given the divine nature of God. The divine nature of God. Literally, I wish I could, I wish I could. Show you how powerful this is. God took his nature and put it in Christ Jesus. He sent him to the earth. Christ died. We accepted Jesus and the same thing that was in Jesus, God stuck it in us. And now you and I and Jesus are the same. And God deals with us the same. Whew. How do I know God won't throw me away? Because he didn't throw Jesus away when he had all the sins of the world on his back. All you got is yours. You just got your junk. He had the junk of everybody who has ever lived or will ever live on his back. And Jesus didn't throw him away. I mean, God didn't throw him away. So I know he's not going to throw me away. He, and, and, and you got to get it. He's dealing with us the same because that's why Pastor John said it earlier, the scripture in, in John says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Not when we get to heaven. Because, you know, that's a, I guess that's a different place in heaven. <laughs> when you get to heaven, we're going to be like Jesus. Listen, we like Jesus now. <laughs> I'm working on my petty. We're we going to be like Jesus right now. We like him right now. The only issue is we don't understand that we are. And you can't act out what you don't know. You can't act out what you don't know. You can be a particular thing, and somebody can put you in an environment, and you spend all your life in that environment, you'll become whatever that environment is. I can't tell you the number of people Literally, because I work in education, I get to travel across the country, I get to see all kinds of schools in different kinds of settings, whether they're charter or Montessori, whether they're public, whether they're private. And I'm telling you, it's amazing that you can take a gifted child and put them in an environment with a bunch of ungifted people, and that, un- and that gifted child will begin to perform just like those ungifted people. But it's also conversely amazing that you can take a child who struggles and put them in an environment where there are high expectations and kids who are working hard and gifted, and you'll be amazed at what that child can produce. Why? Because your environment is always working on you. I, you know, no disrespect. That's why you can't hang around a bunch of people who don't think. See, I didn't call them stupid people that time. I did good. I didn't call them stupid people. I said, you can't hang around with a bunch of people who don't think. Because if you hang around with a bunch of people who don't think, you'll stop. And then you'll be. Y'all, y'all said that. Y'all, see, y'all said that. But that's what will happen. 
you spend all your time around people who don't think, you'll stop thinking, and then it'd be three years later, and you still had that same old dumb thought from three years ago, and the world has changed. Second Peter, one, three through four. It says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He says, not only did God give you a divine nature, but now he's praying that you understand what that is so you can partake of it. It's one thing to have an inheritance and another thing not to know it. It does no good for one of us in here, for whatever reason, to be a part of, uh, let, let's say you had some really, really wealthy uh, person in your family a while back and you don't know it and they've died and, and they've been looking for the heir. If you don't know you the heir, you don't get to claim the right to that stuff. So it's one thing to know you an heir, but then once you know you an heir, once I guarantee you if you found out today that somebody in your family died and they was extremely wealthy and all the lawyer said was that you need to show up at a meeting on Monday, I bet you'd be there. And I bet you'd have one question. What did they leave me? What, what, what did they give me? That, that's a natural question. If I have been given something, I want to know what it is. Only in church do we say we've been given an inheritance. We go, oh, okay. <laughs> You've been given an inheritance. The next question ought to be, what is it? And then I get to say, read your Bible. Because <laughs> that's where it's laid out for you in the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. He gives you what belongs to you. Amen. Just as an athlete has to know what he is capable of before making great plays, we must know what we are capable of in Christ Jesus. Amen. Most athletes will tell you that, yes, it is skill, but it's also intuition. We, Coach Early, who I think is a great, great girls high school girls basketball coach, he used to tell Taylor all the time, we run a play, but the play is just to get us where we need to be. After that, you've got to make some decisions. You, you run the play, and, and the play is that. But if they do something that causes you not to be able to do you got to do something different to, to overtake what they've done. In church, sometimes what we want to do is come to church and hear the word and go, well, didn't nothing happen? Well, the devil's job is not just to let the word come to you. Sometimes he's going to fight you for the word. Sometimes you got to bob and weave. Sometimes you got to move and shake. Sometimes you got to pray a little longer. Sometimes you got to fast. Sometimes you got to get in agreement with somebody. You got to do something different, but you can't just say, well, didn't nothing happen? It is important because the Bible talks about in 1 Samuel chapter 14, there's a story of Jonathan, and most of you know who Jonathan was. The Bible says there's a story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. They won a great victory for the nation of Israel. And in the beginning of the story, Jonathan steps in faith based on what he knew his God was capable of, tell, of doing for him. This helped him to know his position and what he could accomplish in that position. Sometimes God will ask you to do something, and you're just going to have to trust him to move. When you know your position, I'm not saying it won't be scary sometimes. What I'm saying to you is that when you know your position, it'll cause you to move. How do I know? Because if you, you look at our military, right? You take a general in the military. There are times that they are given an order by the commander-in-chief that they have to go to a particular place. His position doesn't allow him to second-guess the commander-in-chief. His position says, I am a man under authority. Right. And because I am a man under authority, and because I have men who are under my authority, if I don't do what the authority told me, I can't expect the people under me to do what I do. It's why I'm hard on married men. What do you mean? You want your wife to follow you, but you won't follow God. I told my wife, I know why God didn't make me a woman. I wouldn't follow no man who didn't follow God. I don't care if we was married. Because I, now see, look, I got quiet here. I ain't entitled to follow you if you ain't following God. 
Now, there are times that you might not understand the direction, but what has the history showed? There are times my wife is not 100% sold on the direction we should go in, but history says I can hear from God. And so because the history shows that I can hear from God, she's willing to submit because I've shown her I'll submit to God. You want folk on your job to follow you? Do you follow your boss? You want your kids to follow you? Do you follow God? They know the Bible. They say, Mom and Daddy ain't doing that. Why Mom and Daddy trying to tell me what to do? I heard Mom and Daddy lying on the phone. Why didn't he tell me not to lie? I heard him when they called us and said, Edwin there. He said, no, Edwin ain't here. Daddy just lied. <laughs> so then why, if we set bad examples, do we think bad examples won't follow? The Bible says, be not deceived. Whatever you sow, you shall, you shall reap. Understand, in the beginning of this story, Jonathan stepped out in faith. And there are times that as sons of God, we're going to have to step out in faith. We may not know the, the entire roadmap. Isn't it amazing that we want to know? We, we kind of like, we, and I, I'm guilty of it on my GPS. I won't, I, if I'm going somewhere, I put the address, I put my, like, I put my address in, and I put the address where I'm going. I want step-by-step directions because I can't stand being lost. You know that's an issue of control. It is. It's an issue of control. I, I know it. It's an issue of control. Because at the end of the day, even if I got lost, I could always get back on track. Because you know people used to drive places before they had GPS. Right. <laughs> we, we act like nobody, nobody drove anywhere before they had GPS. But I realize that sometimes I operate with God like that. God says, I want you to do this. Okay, that's the, my starting point. Where, where do you want me to go? Okay, what's all the steps in between? He's like, no, no, I just told you where to go. I just told you where the end's going to be. You got to listen for the direction the whole way through. And as a child of God, my position says that I know my commander-in-chief would never leave me without instructions. So even if he tells me to go and I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing, I go. We are told in scriptures about our position. It says in Romans 8.37 that we are more than conquerors. Don't have to write all this down. I'll put it in, I'll put it in the group. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says he always leads us to triumph. Philippians 4.13 says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. These three things and many, many more are our position in Christ for which we operate. You and I can do, for God, you and I can do incredible things for God based on that understanding. The playing field is wide open to us. The playing field is wide open to us. This is our position in Christ for which we operate. We can do amazing things. The Bible says it like this. It says those, and I'm going to actually end here. We'll come back and we'll talk about whose we are next week. Today we'll just talk about our position. But here's what it says. It says that when we understand our position in God, it says those who know their God will do great exploits. They'll do great exploits. Those who know their God. If you know your God, it helps you to know who you are. People in life, the Bible says that we can look at natural examples and understand spiritual things. A person who has a father issue or a mother issue, they have that issue because they don't know the mother or the father. And as a result, it affects who they are. But you take a person who doesn't have those mother issues or doesn't have those father's issues, and it's something about them that causes them to behave differently. That's not me just saying this. Research bears it out. Research says that a young woman who grows up in the household with her father, who is a productive father, a caring father, a loving father, not just he in the house. There's, there's a difference. But a girl who grows up with the right identity with her father, now listen to this. She is, and I don't even know how to get a percentage like this, but this is what the research says. She is 900% less likely to have a child out of wedlock. All because of the relationship she had with her father. Because it says something about who she is.
It says something about her worth. Well, if that is true, then the research would have to bear out that there are some behaviors, there are some faults and things that you and I wouldn't do if we had a good relationship with our father. There are some things we wouldn't accept. There are some things we wouldn't give into. There are some things we wouldn't settle for if we understood our relationship with our Heavenly Father. There are sometimes there are opportunities that present themselves to you, and the reality is people take them because they think it's the best they're going to get. Or they think it's all they deserve. But if you ever take a moment to take a step back and ask God what he wants for you, more than likely, if it's something that, the, that, that, that has been manufactured out of your own will, it doesn't even line up with what God has for you. And so it's important for you and I to understand about our position. So I'm going to stop here today, and next week we'll come back and talk about whose we are. It's important for us to understand our position in Christ. we got to know whose we are, but we also got to know who we are. And knowing who we are is... is, 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 is right next to understanding who we are in Christ Jesus. Say, I am, I am. A, joint a joint heir with Jesus Christ. With Jesus Say, Christ. As, Jesus is, as Jesus is in this world, in this world so, am I, so am I right now. Right. Now, come on and give God some praise this morning. Amen. Amen.